0: Hello, this is Father Joseph Anthony Cress,
1: And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman.
0: Welcome to Godsplaining. Thank you to all who support us. And if you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on our Patreon page. Be sure to like and subscribe and share Godsplaining episodes wherever you listen to your podcast. Well, we're back with another uh, Godsplaining episode, another guest Guestsplaining episode. I'm joined by Father Bonaventure Chapman and we are extremely excited and honored, really, to have uh, Professor Brad Wilcox joining us on today's episode. Um, I have to say, this is a little bit of a, a personal uh, joy for me because I've gotten to know Brad over the last um, few years of being a parishioner here at our parish in uh, Charlottesville, St. Thomas Aquinas University Parish, as well as being part of the University of Virginia community. So uh getting to know him through there so it's such a joy then to have kind of invite him into this new world uh of podcasting and uh joining that way but brad welcome uh it's so good to have you and if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of an intro on uh yourself your work and uh you know how how you've come to join us on this podcast today
2: yeah thanks for the joseph anthony thanks for the bad bon adventure it's great to be with you guys today um i've I've been working on family issues for about uh, 20 years now, hard to believe, and um, sort of the issue kind of came to the forefront actually at the University of Virginia when I was an undergraduate uh, about you know 30 years ago now. And I uh, was raised by a single mom. And as I came to UVA, I was kind of thinking about and challenged by some of my teachers to think about the ways in which you know dads mattered for their kids. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which marriage connects men to their children. So, this is kind of like an insight that I had here at UVA, you know, uh, uh, which is I think probably unusual for your average undergraduate (laughs) male, and you know, uh, in in his early twenties. But that sort of like you know insight led me to pursue a PhD in sociology at Princeton, and then to do you know a good bit of work on family life, and then the nexus between religion and family life in some early research. Uh, you know, as a professor here at the University of Virginia. And then more recently, have been focusing on what goes into forging, you know, strong, stable families and marriages for contemporary married couples in America. And I've got a new book coming out with HarperCollins next year on marriage. And I'm just wrapping that up this summer. That's the big push this summer is to kind of, you know, um, finish this book and give, um, you know, uh, a general audience, some ideas about what's happening to to marriage in America, and also to kind of give them some ideas about how to forge a successful marriage um, in in 21st century America as well. That's a quick summary of what I'm up to right now.
1: So so this summer's wedding gift will not be your book, but next summer's listeners and viewers, the best thing that you can give to any couple that's becoming married being married is professor brad wilcox's book which would be called something like
2: get married or you know something in that spirit so exactly it's something pr- pretty i'm uh, pretty aggressive so. you'll
1: find it'll be a aggr- it's an aggressive uh a bridal gift or wedding shower gift or anything so this is no, you've it's heard an it engagement first. this gift. is the yeah this is the it's, it's any gift you know it's to anyone just buy this book immediately and get it to everyone when it comes out when it comes out okay right that's great that's great
0: so, um, before as we jump into that, I, I think one of the opening questions that I w- want to ask and kind of start us in this discussion is: in your research, in from a sociological point of view, you know, give us some of the insights that you've been seeing in your twenty years of research of the importance of a strong family structure with. A, a society, what what influence does that have sure. um, moving from the fair family structure to the influence on a society as a whole? Um, what role does that play?
2: Yeah, good question, uh, Father. So, you know, what I think could, one thing I could say is that there's been a lot of research done, some of which has been done by bit, but others as well, of course. Just kind of indicating that when it comes to some of our most, you know, powerful concerns, right? Things like concerns about incarceration, mass incarceration, for instance, or concerns about kind of the health of the American Dream, or the large minority of boys who are ending up, you know, suspended in school and, and then getting into some other kind of trouble, um, or even as, as you know, we, we're seeing today that young men are much less likely to attend and graduate from college than young women are. When you look at these kinds of outcomes, what you often find is that we're talking about things like race and poverty, um, inequality, you know, school failure, and these are all kind of legitimate concerns, uh, and they should be part of our conversation, no doubt. But what's often missing from this conversation, we call it kind of the family elephant in the room, mm-hmm. which is that a big reason that we're, you know, facing difficulties as a country and even, you know, individual you know, kids and adults um, are facing problems uh, revolves around what's happening on the home front. And so when it comes to, for instance, um, thinking about like the health of the American dream in poor communities across the US, uh, the work of Raj Chetty at Harvard tells us that the number one predictor of whether or not, you know, one community is going to have a high rate of kids growing up out of poverty and making it, you know, financially, is the share of two-parent families uh, in that community. Wow. Um, or look at you know mass incarceration. My own work with colleagues indicates that you know, one of the top predictors, maybe the top predictor of mass incarceration at the neighborhood level is, uh, again, the share of uh, two-parent families in a neighborhood. So on a host of different fronts, what we see is that the family factor often looms large. So that's mm-hmm. sort of one thing that I would say, and, and, we, and we have difficulty for a variety of reasons about talking, about this issue in public. Um, but the other thing, this is really the new thing, because I've been kind of beating the family drum for like 20 years now, and like, to have me say that marriage matters is like not exactly newsworthy. Um, but I think what's new for me, and, and um, both on the one hand kind of exciting intellectually, but also sobering, you know, from a you know, broader sociological perspective, is my hypothesis today is that marriage and family matter more than ever. Not just for kids, but for adults, and that's because we live in a world that's increasingly economically unequal. We live in a world where too many people are what I would say are addicted to electronic opiates um, and are not, therefore not kind of doing enough in person in the real world. Uh, we live in a world yep. where social trust is collapsing. We live in a world where people are not engaged in the religious and secular you know um sort of institutions in their local communities. And therefore, we live in a world where people are really often uh, deeply lonely. So given these larger economic and technological and civic and cultural forces playing out in our country today and across much of the developed world, my hypothesis is that having a family, having a spouse, having kids becomes that much more valuable in giving us financial security, giving us a sense of social solidarity, giving us the opportunities to, to, to live for others, um, and to experience their care and concern, you know, both in the household, but also kind of, they're, they're bringing us out of our homes and out of our apartments as well. So if you have kids, for instance, you've got, you know, school, you've got soccer, you've (laughs) got, if you're religious, you know, Sunday night youth group or Monday night youth group. And so that's good for you to kind of be getting out of your apartment and out of your home. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of People I've met at the soccer field, or that I've met, you know, through the church youth group, um, and so I'm kind of I'm flourishing more as as an adult male having kids who are kind of mm. pushing me out the door, cool. yeah. uh, a couple you know evenings a week and and a couple times on the weekend as well. So that's that's sort of the newer idea, and that is again that marriage and family matter more in a world that's become more atomistic, more unequal, and more more individualistic. Um, Of course, you could kind of make, I think, the same argument, too, for religious practice as well, right, that in a kind of paradoxical way, as we become more secular, you know, and as as our communities become uh, weaker in many ways, um, if you are, you know, fortunate enough to plug into a religious community locally, um, you know, you're going to be benefiting. We saw, for instance, Gallup data across uh, COVID time. The yeah. only group that did not see their mental well-being collapse during COVID time were Americans who said that they were regularly attending religious services in person. So that's really? kind of another indicator here. But again, the, the big idea is that we're social animals. And so having a family, uh, being involved in a faith community, you know, is good for most of us. And uh, I think probably even more so in a world that's, you know, uh, more antisocial or asocial.
1: Yeah, I think you know, was it Mary Eberstadt who also works, non-statistical field of sociology, I could say, but some kind of some some area of this talks about the how the West was lost or something with the argument that we usually think of religion going away when fam, what, family going away when religion goes away, and she kind of turns it around, and I I don't I don't know if she gets does due diligence on the data causation stuff on this, but but saying that actually the reason why religion is going away is because family is going away these are linked as you say the cult and the culture in a sense that the, whether it's reciprocity or whether it's you know one sided causality who knows but that the the family does under undermine the family undermines so much so much of things now what's interesting of course is that we're kind of in an anti-institutional age you know we don't trust institutions uh we trust ourselves if if that sort of thing. And uh, there's a lot of is a knee-jerk reaction I think to say if it's an institution, if it was in existence before the last twenty years, um it's more or less what well, has to like readmit itself to society. You know, like we can have these institutions, but we have to assume that actually they're they're here on green card status or something. Like we need to readmit them and mm-hmm. check their thing. And which is, you know, shocking to us, I suppose, especially if you're a uh, Dominican priest or something. But it is the case that people the the family is such a nebulous thing, like no one's against the family quaff family. Of course. No one's against family quaff, or at least not reasonable. But the family as a two parent kind of in some version of the nuclear family, with of course, I expect extended family. Um, that's the one that I think needs to have an argument for some reason, all of a sudden we're to present. So first is what when you say family, like what is what's the kind of thing you're looking for? I think you're looking for a two-parent family sort of thing with with children as the standard model. And then what are some, I mean, what are some reasons to thinking actually this is, yeah, this is a solution to the problems that you mentioned um, that actually everyone should, this is not a controversial religious kind of thing. We don't believe in the family, two-parent family because we're Catholics or because we're conservatives, but because we're human, like, and not just biologically, but like sociologically and intellectually and psychologically. Yeah,
2: yeah. And that's a great point, Father Bonaventure, you know, the point I make, I had someone, it was sort of like going after me for being like a white Christian male kind of thing. And and I just pointed out, look, if you look internationally, (laughs) if you look historically, you know, uh, marriage is a cross-cultural, trans-historical institution. And we find marriage in India, we find marriage in Nigeria, we find (laughs) <laughs> marriage in China. This is not a white male Christian thing. You know, Let's just be clear and honest about this, right? So it's a human thing to use your term for the Bonaventure. So, um, and I think the point is that civilizations, and of course, there are cultures across, again, time and space that have not been organized around marriage. But what we, we see, I think, is that civilizations do tend to be. And I think that's because marriage is that institution that does so much for people, Mm -hmm. Um, It organizes sexuality, kind of gives some direction and purpose to sexuality, kind of sets some boundaries around, like, how do we organize that for a couple, you know, gives some people some norms. It establishes obligations between spouses in a variety of different fronts, including financially. It uh, connects men to their kids, you know, fathers to their children, um, both, you know, emotionally, practically and financially. Um, It provides a measure of of stability to family life that is beneficial not just for that household and not just for that individual child but for you know for neighborhoods communities and countries so like confucius has some quick quotes about kind of how much the the society depends upon strong families so you know marriage matters at a variety of different levels at the individual level at the household level at the neighborhood level at the country level and we know that that communities and countries, for instance, that have strong families are more likely to be flourishing economically uh, because you know kids benefit from having stably married parents, and adults, particularly adult males, are more likely to work hard and to work uh, prudentially uh, when they're married with kids. So, there's work, for instance, done by Alexander Kilowald at uh, Harvard showing that there's a kind of uh, marriage premium for men when it comes to their incomes that is. Mm especially high for men who are married um with their own kids in the household um it's lower for men who are like stepdads and married or you know men who are married without kids um and it's also actually men who are living apart from their children and are not married are actually making this is a different piece of research but they actually make less money than single childless men um, so the point is is that kind of family life um and marriage as sort of the anchor has implications that kind of radiate out in, mm. you know, a variety of different directions.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I have, oh my goodness, I have so many questions. I want to go in so many different directions. Um, Okay. But one of the things that, uh, Brad, you kind of mentioned earlier is like looking at how marriage actually facilitates the health of also the individual spouses. So whether it's a husband or the wife um, and how it kind of forces once you introduce a, a, kind of a mini society it forces you for solidarity it forces you to have compassion for each other enter into the sufferings of the other um it forces you outside of the home because now you're taking kids to soccer games or or things like that so uh, can you maybe circle back to that and kind of draw into in your research have you seen the Kind of the three elements that a family provides for this, the, you know, the adults of the family, the the husband and wife, like, what are those things that they, the family allows them to grow in that is not necessarily present outside of the family structure, or maybe has to be very intentionally pursued outside of the family structure, where the, it's just kind of connatural to this environment?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think there are a number of things that one could say for just Anthony, I think one thing, um that i see is that you know being a part of a family um being a spouse and being a parent entails suffering mm-hmm. and i think our culture is allergic to suffering we think we want to sort of flee at the first sign of suffering um but there's a a new book out um from a psychologist um who is who's at yale now he's at toronto problem and i think it's called like the sweet spot but his his argument is really fascinating it's like that there is there's a way in which there's sort of like a curve when it comes to suffering. And so like if you're, you know, at the maximal point of the curve, like you're and, and this is like the the axis, you know, is is sort of like emotional well-being, but like if you're at maximum suffering, you yeah, your emotional well-being is is down here. It's low, right? Um, but interestingly, if you've got no suffering over here, you're also not doing so great. And his point is that sort of suffering actually is good for us up to a point. Right. Um, that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, suffering, uh, makes us emotionally <clears throat> stronger and more robust. Um, it makes sort of like the high points of our lives that much sort of more meaningful for us. Um, if, if we're not kind of going from one dopamine hit to the next, um, and it's also kind of the way it really tends to engender meaning in our lives. So if we, had to, if suffering is connected to something that we find to be important, whether it's like work, family. Mm-hmm. You know, some big hobby, for instance, or sport. You know, mountaineering would be an obvious example here. Like people do all crazy stuff (laughs) when they're mountaineering; they suffer in incredible ways. You know, you know, from like just the exertions to the cold, everything else. But his point is that sort of suffering, up to a point, is good for us. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I think families are are places where just to be one example, where we suffer. And But that's actually good for us, especially as we attach meaning to the suffering, um, to suffering people that we love. Um, So that's one point. Uh, The second point that I would make is that um, generosity is, there's a huge literature on generosity um, that's emerged in recent years. And um, what I find, for instance, in marriages is, is that, yeah, you benefit from being the recipient of generosity from your spouse. It makes you happier. Um, but what's interesting in my research with some colleagues is that we find that you being generous towards your spouse um, is independently even a better predictor of your happiness in marriage than you being the recipient of generosity. So, again, I think if we, wow. and it's a struggle for all of us, right? But you know, living in community or living in a marriage or being a parent uh, to to embrace the generous option at any given moment in you know in community is hard. Um, but we all know that when we do it. Um, and do it with a sort of a spirit of, um, of, uh, sort of a, you know, a, a willing spirit. If we kind of just give ourselves over to being generous in the moment, um, we often find that that's, you know, um, it, it redounds to our benefit, you know, longer term, especially. So that's the second point I make. Um, and then the third point I would make about family life is just the sort of point about flexibility. Um, my wife has been at home, she's been in the workforce and, you know, without naming any names, um, she's, you know, worked for a couple of nonprofits in recent years and not, not by any means every of member for kind of millennial colleagues would be, this would be true of, but um, for a number for kind of childless millennial, you know, fellow colleagues at work, there's a kind of uh fragility and a kind of uh you know often anxiety Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm, complaining mm -hmm. about their health you know saying this is too much and and she's sort of like scratching her head like you know um i have got nine kids i'm i'm caring for on the home front here i've got lots of things (laughs) happening you know you know she's dealt with you know midnight trips to the er projectile vomiting you know any number of crazy things and you know so i think that the thing is is that because of all that In part, she's actually much better able to handle, you know, Mm -hmm. difficult Mm -hmm. and um, challenging tasks at work, because she's had to navigate a lot of uh, craziness on the home front over the years. So I think that point applies just more generally, I think, you know, having, you know, being married, being a parent, you know, um, makes you kind of more flexible, Dexterous as you kind of move into midlife and later life as well, if you compared to those who haven't had that opportunity.
1: Yeah, those are. I mean, Professor Wilcox, are brilliant. I'm sure everyone at the moment when they're listening to this thought, "That's it. I'm going to get married right now." Um, <laughs> and because it's true, especially with the the meaning component, I think people think like both Father Joseph Anthony and I are, are religious, so we take a vow. Of, you know, celibacy, ch- chastity, and uh, currently, most Roman Catholic priests, of course, are are not married. Um, and people think, oh, it's the it's the sexual kind of sacrifice that's involved there. But but I don't think that's actually the big one. The big one is actually you won't have a family. You you won't have your own, that community. You won't have children that you're raising. And I think in a in a the reason why people think it's the sexual thing is because people don't know about families and they don't know the importance of that. And yet when you spend time as a family, and I'm sure Father Joseph Anthony has a similar reflection. It's the it's the lack of having a family to pass on and the meaning that that provides and the kind of. Not in the silly sense of like, oh, now my life is purposeful. Our lives are purposeful. But there is a great, great good uh, in the family. And the st- you mentioned three, and I'm sure you could have mentioned 12 other things that are brilliant that people don't just take for granted that we're forgetting in the West, it seems like, because we're denying families or large families, I could say. Now, what I want to ask you about those, we talked about the kind of generals, about the human aspects of the family and the importance there. Maybe just a moment, though, on... The specific, on the, the particulars of, say, Christian or Catholic families, you could say, how does that—how do Catholic families differ, or what's, what do you think in the sense—grace builds on nature, of course, so how do these, these natural uh, elements and goodnesses of marriage uh, for society— how do you think I assume you I assume you think the Catholics make this even better in the best part, as opposed to like, well, natural marriage, human marriage is the best and Catholics just aren't as good. But, you know, that's we just suffer through that because of divine command theory. I assume you think actually Catholics, Catholic marriage is ideally the fulfillment, whatever that means, Catholic marriage. So talk through Christian and Catholic, maybe if you, if you want to distinguish, feel free, if not, um, that adds to this marriage feature we've been talking about.
2: Yeah, so to be frank, Father venture, so my own work looks more at kind of the generic effects of religious attendance rather mm-hmm. than the specific effects of being Catholic. Um, so I would say that what we see when you look at religious um, couples is that, among other things, they report more you know, marital satisfaction. They're about 40% less likely to get divorced. Um, and um, I think there's also, I mean... Religious men tend to be more involved with their kids than secular men these days, and even actually in recent years are doing more housework than their secular male peers as well. So it's kind of, you know, there's a way in which they focus on the family, you know, mm-hmm. um, r- religious uh, men compared to more secular men. And The same thing is true for, you know, religious women as well, although what we see is that religious and secular women actually are, you know, they, they're they just more likely to invest you know, more time and energy into their families than, than men are across the board. So the difference Shocking. between religious and secular women is not as large as it would be between religious and secular men when it comes to my life. So, um, so yeah, the point is, is that faith fosters a kind of, uh, you know, stronger family orientation, the part of most, although not all, of course, most husbands and wives, most fathers and mothers. Um, and I think part of this, and I sort of think about this in three ways um, in terms of what I call norms, Networks and nomos. So, in terms of norms, there are norms about you know things like fidelity and forgiveness that we get from um, our churches that um, are obviously very helpful in fostering better relationships. Um, There are networks of people that we hang out with, um, and um, they tend to kind of encourage us, often more by example than explicitly, you know, to be good husbands and good fathers. You know, their father-daughter dances in some communities. There are opportunities to go, you know, hiking with, you know, dads in my circle, for instance, and and other kids. Um, You know, people are doing, um, you know, devotions in a local church community here in Charlottesville. And you you see a lot of families at the noon mass at a local uh, parish here in Charlottesville, for instance, on Fridays. Um, And so there's a way in which these networks reinforce, uh, on average, um, better... Uh, you know, better habits um, and better orientations and just, you know, support. So when we, for instance, we had twins about 13 years ago and we had about a month of free dinners from our Catholic and evangelical friends in Charlottesville. So that was like a big, big deal for us when we had those twins just to kind of like transition through this big, you know, (laughs) shift um, and to have like people in our corner was, was really helpful and important. Um, and then the family is what I call nomos and I'm drawing on work done by Peter Berger and a Protestant um, sociologist um, died, you know, not too long ago, but he talks about this way in which sort of religion attaches a certain kind of order, a kind of um, sacred canopy over people's lives. And so it ascribes meaning to things in our life and it allows us to sort of make sense of things that are, you know, that cause suffering. So his argument is that. Um, When you have a nomos, you're better able to handle things like, you know, the loss of a beloved mother, um, like, you know, the loss of a job, um, or, you know, a teenager who's, who's exceedingly difficult, um, you know, whereas if you don't have this nomos, you're much more likely to kind of, you know, become depressed or anxious or dispirited and to fight with your wife or your husband. Um, so the nomos I think is also part of the story here. And it's particularly, I think the case for people, people of prayer, you know, who have a strong sense that God is present in their lives, um, mm-hmm. are better able to handle the slings and arrows of, um, misfortune, you know, mm-hmm. than those who are not people of prayer. Um, so I think that's, that's another point I would make about the, the link between faith and family. Um, and I, again, I see that across religious traditions on sort my of venture, but I, Um, I think the one thing I have seen in the the research sort of distinctively Catholic is lower divorce kind of, you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and that's, of course, consistent with the Catholic teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. But, you know, one of the things that I would say, though, just to kind of also be, I think it's important for priests to hear this as well, is that when you look at like the data on marital happiness, what I find is about in every, so people who, who are attending church are happier in their marriages on average than those who are not, but on any given, you know, kind of moment or, or day of the week or Sunday, for that matter, you know, about one in five um, spouses is not happy in their marriage. <laughs> yeah. And so it's yeah. worth kind of just, you know, no, it's good giving people permission to sort of understand that people may put on a good front for Sunday,
0: Yeah, they, they may yeah, show yeah.
2: up, you know, looking halfway decent and, you know, all that, but it's worth everyone knowing that it's okay. Number one, to, to be distressed or, right. you know, angry or, um you know feeling dispirited about your spouse or your marriage that's really normal you know for all of us who are married at some point in our lives i think that's one point they're going to the other point is just to kind of encourage priests and pastors to um to recognize that it's you know it's worth preaching about kind of the the crosses um Associated with married life, and mm-hmm. to sort of let people know they're not alone in carrying that cross, and that there are people right, probably next to them in the pew, <laughs> who are also carrying <laughs> that cross, um, as well related to to marriage or or parenting. You know, so yeah. There's sort of
1: this. The, no, there's this. The, it is that uh, there's some we can't tell other people that we're because we think no one else is going through the same problems we're going through. And We think, well, if you're Catholic, you're supposed to have the best marriage, best life. Now, should never be having so no one says anything. And at the same point, there. Of course, you're probably no different, not really, than the person next to you. So if you're experiencing something, they've probably experienced it. They might be experiencing it now. But we, we do. We feel uncomfortable um, acknowledging that because it's like a sign of weakness. But it's one of those, wait, you too? Yeah. But surely that's the case. That's, that's a great reminder for us, especially as priests. And yeah. for Catholics in general, Like, it is okay that your marriage feels awful at the moment. That means nothing about whether – that nothing follows from that. You know, nothing falls like, oh, everyone else is really happy. My marriage is my their marriages are great. Mine isn't, so therefore I should break up and separate. Nope. Nothing follows from your marriage being in, in, in a tough spot right now. Right. Yeah. Except that, you know, it's time to time to dig in and pray and work.
0: Um as we're yeah, we're we're kinda coming close to the end. Um, but I I'd be really remiss if I didn't ask this question of you and at least give you an opportunity to talk about this. So As being the chaplain of the University of Virginia, I work with a tremendous amount of university students and you do the same and I have seen you repeatedly be a wonderful mentor you and and your wife are tremendous mentors to a number of our students that are here. Um, And in helping them through their relationships as university students and preparing for marriage and and inviting them into your family to give them that kind of insight into what a real family life is like. And it's total chaos, but also it's total joys. So as you and I know you've done a lot of research recently and and you keep up with a lot of our alumni um, looking at you know, young couples and we have a lot of our listeners who are maybe in a relationship right now or trying to figure out, do I ask this person to be my spouse for the rest of my life and that. So what kind of encouragement or what do you see with um, that? that desire to enter into this family life and whatnot. And um should should couples wait a little while? At what stage is it okay to then jump into marriage or not? Like what are you seeing with some of that and some of your insights of working with university students and kind of on a personal and mentorship basis?
2: Um yeah. That's a great question, Father Joseph Anthony. So I think um, you know, it's important not to sort of like give one rule about how to do <laughs> you know dating um because i think you know there isn't one rule but what i would say is i'm looking for a couple of things with couples um you know one thing is a symmetrical commitment and there was a couple for instance who were involved with catholic who's before your time you know really some, both just super great people and we were all kind of like you know cheering them on um but the, the woman in this relationship broke it off and we're like what, what is she thinking like this is a great guy you know yada 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 Um, but I think there wasn't like the same, you know, interest in him as he had in her at that point. And then we met this guy like three years later and he had married someone else. And when I met this, you know, different couple, um, his wife looked at him with that look of like devotion and like, Oh, that, that's it. Like, it's just so much better that, you know, he didn't get married to this first woman, um, because she was not that into him, (laughs) you know? So one piece is just kind of making sure there's that symmetrical commitment going into uh, marriage. Uh, The second thing, obviously, I think is there's there is a kind of a maturation issue for a lot of young men today, Um, and so looking to sort of like you know have a sense that the guy is kind of like not not that any of us men are ever completely cooked, but (laughs) you know that he's you know got a pretty clear sense of where he's headed, and he's a pretty serious person. He, He can he can work well. Mm-hmm. gets up in the morning on time does stuff doesn't you know, he's not on honestly on video games you know mm-hmm. um yep. during the day you know and so just a, a kind of maturity factor you know looking for that in the guy i think is particularly important nowadays um and you know the third thing and the obviously the fundamental thing is you know both parties ideally are are um involved in their own religious community you know and mm-hmm. you know attend mass and um are taking their faith seriously. Um, my wife and I did a pre cana quiz, for instance, and we failed every single uh, <laughs> domain of the quiz, except that we had the same faith. So we, we scored high on that shared faith, but, you know, low on everything else. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, but, you know, we're heading to 27 years of marriage, you know, this August, thankfully. That's and awesome. you know, Congrats. So having that, you know, joint commitment to, to being faithful together is obviously, you know, um, the sort of foundation of... Yeah a strong marriage. So if you have those kinds of things, that maturity, that faith, and that joint commitment, um, you know, all kind of like, related to obviously a strong friendship, I think it's, it's, it's worth thinking seriously about marriage at that point.
0: Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we could talk for another 3540 minutes, uh, and just dive into all of this, but is uh, wonderful to have you on our podcast it's wonderful to have you as a parishioner and part of our university community and i am very grateful for how you and your family continue to help uh, mentor and lead our students uh, out of your family life together and thank you to all of our listeners and thank you to all of our supporters um, if you'd like to tithe to our work we ask you to check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining uh, we ask you to follow us on social media platforms facebook twitter instagram like and subscribe leave a five-star review uh, please visit us at godsplanning.org to shop our merchandise and get the dates for our upcoming uh, in-person events information about different events that we're hosting whether it's retreats or pilgrimages you'll find all of that on our website godsplanning.org. and like i said once again thank you to brad for joining us on our, on this episode please uh, like and share this episode with those that you think would enjoy it thank you very much and god bless